Okay. Hi, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Whether you're watching a video or listening to a podcast, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. Links to videos or MP3 files can be found on MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Go to MarlenePardo.com for information on new book releases. I narrate several podcast series that can be found on major podcast platforms and can also be listened to via Alexa, Sonus, and other home systems. Look for Supernatural Storytime for scary storytelling, Nightshade Diary for classic horror and adventure stories, Stories of the Supernatural for interviews with different guests on the show. If you want to get noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird, just visit Stranger Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com or find us on Blogspot. I want to thank you for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good, I hope. I'm doing good. Everything is good over here. Um, something I forgot to remind you guys, so that's why I'm going to say it up front. Please sign up for my newsletter. Okay, I've got a newsletter that goes out on Substack, and I'll I usually send weird articles, and there's uh, links to any of my projects, the books, videos, um, any of the other series that I have that are podcast series, Nightshade Diary. I have all those links, and I send them out like once or twice a week. And also, like I said, whenever I'm you know launching a new book. All that neat stuff is in there. So go and uh, if you go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com, you're going to find links there to sign up for the newsletter or for anything else, links to any of the videos, links to any of the podcasts, whether it's this show, Stories of the Supernatural, Nightshade Diary, Supernatural Storytime, or even, even the Eerie News, which is the latest one that you know I put out, which comes out about every three days, which is just weird stories from all over the place. The weirder, the better, right? And uh, also, I wanted to talk about my sponsor. My sponsor is PlanToStaySafe.com. PlanToStaySafe.com. All right, and basically, they've got all these neat little gadgets. Um, uh, th- we're not talking here about uh, you know high tech uh, security systems. We're talking, let's say, if you're traveling and you need one of these alarms that you want to uh, hang on the doorknob of your motel room, stuff like that, practical stuff. Uh, same thing, you know, that you can have at home. They have diversion saves, stuff. Let's say you've got uh, some jewelry or a little bit of cash. You want to put it away somewhere. And they've got these little diversion safes. In other words, we're not talking about a big, giant, like, you know, $100 safes. This is stuff that basically it helps you hide your, your, your cash or just jewelry that you don't want to leave, let's say, out in the open. And it helps you put it away. And they've got a lot of neat stuff. They've even got um, things that you could put in the wall. They, in other words, they help you stay safe in, in a practical way. But a lot of original ideas. They've also got a lot of uh, great self-defense products for women. So check them out. PlanToStaySafe.com. PlanToStaySafe.com. All right. Here we go. And for those of you, because I know everybody was asking me about my chickens. Uh, like last week I said I had. Something had dug in under one of my pens and took, well, took two of the chickens and one was really hurt and it died. I I tried to save it. So I'm, I'm down to two. These are blue Andalusians. All right. Um, I'm telling you, but 
And I've, but the other chicks that I've got with the moms, they're fine. And, uh, you know, it, that's, that's the nature of the beast when, you know, when you have farm animals or poultry that, that always happens. And, uh, yeah, what can I say? And, uh, also I know some, some of you had asked me, you know, to take pictures of the chick, the hens with the chicks and stuff like that. I've got to get a, I, I promise scouts, even though I've never been a scout, scouts promise I'm going to do that. Matter of fact, I really, what I want to do is instead of taking pictures, I want to take some videos of, of, uh, all the hens. That's why I keep them. A lot of times people have asked me, oh, you've got the hens with the chicks inside a cage, even though the rest of my flock is free range and they forage all over the place. I do that specifically to guard them uh, from exactly that, you know, because I've got iron bars at the bottom and all around, and that's the only way to survive, especially if you live out on the sticks like I do. Okay, let's get on to the good part. And the good part is who I have as a guest tonight. This is the first time this gentleman's been here. His name is Ken Goodsward. And he is a best-selling author, an independent researcher whose interests include archaeology, phyology, ontography. He writes in a variety of genres, including nonfiction, science fiction, dark comedy, and poetry. His books include Magic in the Bible, UFOs in the Bible, Enuma Elish. And uh, at the end, uh, we'll go ahead and we'll put out his, uh, you know, the, the, his website credit is going to be on the credits of the show, but we'll put it out for the podcast listeners where you can find him on YouTube and also on his uh on his website. Help me welcome him. How are you doing today, Ken? I'm great. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. No, on the contrary, it's my pleasure. Um, oh. I'm going to ask you, let's get that. How did you ever, did you go into this field by accident? Did you, something was an experience that yeah. took you there? What happened? Well, yeah, I guess it was sort of by accident and sort of a little bit by experience, but probably not the type of experience you might think. Um, but um, uh, I, I grew up um, very heavily involved in, in the church. And um, uh, so for the last, well, I don't know, I don't, it's hard to keep track of time nowadays. I'm getting to be 52. So, um, but for many years, I, uh, I, I served at church and uh, led worship, and um, I was a deacon for the last few years. And um, as kind of part of that was sort of like, um, almost like sort of trying to almost, sometimes churches get in kind of a rut and um, sort of like, okay, well, can, what can we do here? And um, part of that was uh, sort of really looking into um, the dip, I started noticing a big difference between Jesus's ministry and the ministry that that we that passes for ministry in today's mm -hmm. church, and it's very different. So, um, studying Jesus uh, really got me into a healing ministry, and um, so that was interesting because that's sort of paranormal in a way. Um, and then uh, from there. Um, I, I became interested in the parallels between uh, that kind of thing, the, the kind of things that you do in a healing ministry and what would be typically considered magic. Um, okay. And so there, there are a lot of parallels there. Um, and so that was what uh, got me um, down the path of writing my first book, Magic in the Bible. That's uh, not my first book, but uh, the first book that's sort of along the kind of things are getting a little bit weird. 
and then um, um, from there on, um, I've, I always was really a big fan of ancient aliens um, mm -hmm. and the whole kind of paleo contact theories, uh, but I never really knew what to believe about it. Uh, but it, it was always fascinating to me, so um, I decided to uh, to kind of do a deep dive and see. Uh, because you, you have guys like Eric von Daniken and, um, you know, many other authors who will basically say that there, there are UFOs in the Bible, but they're kind of just saying it and they don't really uh, do a lot of in-depth in, like, in terms of here's why they think that, right? How did they get to this conclusion? Um, so I thought that was an interesting question and I wanted to see if, uh, if really there was any evidence in the Bible itself. And it turns out there is a ton of evidence. Um, so I, I ended up uh, writing this book, UFOs in the Bible. It's mm -hmm. here. And it's, it's a good sized book, um, okay. big enough to have a spine on it anyway. And um, through that, I uh, just really uh, was fascinated to find out how many UFO encounters are in the Bible? Um, okay. It's it's almost not even an exaggeration to say it's a slight, maybe a slight exaggeration to say that pretty much every character in the Bible is a UFO contactee. Let me ask you: Do you think? And and I imagine this is something like you said that once you go in depth and you study it, looking at it, like is this what it is? Are we talking about? people not not understanding how can i say this something that yeah. we could interpret as being a ufo or an extraterrestrial visitation versus something natural but just misunderstood by the people living in those times right so there there is of course um it's conceptually difficult to explain uh what you've seen when something strange happens to you and that is still true to this day even though we have language around it you know, we can say, hey, I saw a UFO, uh, but that doesn't really truly convey what it is that we saw. Um, so people end up talking about, you know, I saw a light, I saw lights moving, but right. it's not literally a light. I mean, it ha it ha there's lights associated with it, but it's not simply a lamp floating through the sky. So even, in, even when we do have the language for it, um, it still is somewhat insufficient in a way. Uh, so take that back to people who uh, lived in, like, not Stone Age, but pretty close to it. Um, mm -hmm. They were typically, you know, technically they'd call it uh, usually Bronze Age. A lot of these Bronze um, Age, Iron Age. In the okay. Bible. Yeah. Right. And um, so they didn't have uh, the language for machines. Mm -hmm. um, they did have metal. They knew what metal was. And that is the language that you actually do see appearing um, in these texts, is that they are actually uh, talking about metal, um, and the metal is in the sky, and there's often fire and smoke and very loud noises, um, and often lights as well. Um, so it's interesting that we actually, um, we actually strip down these, uh, these stories almost in a way that um, makes it seem like these guys are are more primitive than they really 
truly were because we take out the metal elements when we tell these stories mm-hmm. and we we tell them as if it's a supernatural being uh, but right. that's not in the text at all so it's the texts do not generally i mean there's a lot of a lot of stories so i you can't generalize all of them but um they generally don't sound like hey there was a man who had wings on his back. Like, that's not what they're talking about. Um, but right. what they do say is there was a, a loud, shiny object that looked metallic, um, and it came from the sky. So right. so they're not um, interpreting it as a supernatural event. They're just describing. I don't believe. Right. Maybe they don't understand how it does that, but. Yeah, exactly. And um, there is. Uh, a little bit of a supernatural element to it sometimes um, okay. because the uh, uh, the characters who are um, having these uh, these you know visitations are sort of in some cases um, already sort of leaning to to that um, supernatural i guess but it's strange because they don't um they don't generally say god showed up okay like and they could easily say that right because Mm -hmm. they have the language for god um and there's actually a lot of language around what the concept for god was in their mind um which we are also misinterpreting because we roll up a bunch of their different concepts into one for example, everywhere in the Old Testament uh, where you read the word God, which is a lot of times because it's kind, he's kind of the main character, um, but the Hebrew word, there is no actual Hebrew word that means God in the same way that that, we, that, that word means for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the Hebrew, there's several different words. The, one of them is Yahweh, which mm-hmm. is the name of a specific God, let's say a specific God that uh, Moses and his followers um, worshipped. So you have Yahweh, and in some of these um, encounters, Yahweh is identified, and he sometimes does speak to to the uh, to the person having the the encounter. However, um, that's that that is, um, I would say, uh, on the rare, on the more rare side of of it. Like if you look at the numbers of of different things that people are experiencing, it's not usually Yahweh, but he, he does. He is named a couple of times, um, but often you'll have um, a character who is identified as an Elohim. Now, okay. so an Elohim is a different word. It's not Yahweh. Um, mm-hmm. and we, though we generally in English and in Christianity have interpreted, uh, Elohim to mean God, but that's not what it means. It is literally a pluralistic, uh, um, group of some type of individuals, um, that we can assume to be, uh, living beings who are intelligent. Now okay. it doesn't necessarily tell us anything about them beyond that Uh, but it is definitely not a singular person and not somebody who is uh, claiming to come in in ultimate godlike form or power 
it's in generally not like that at all. It's usually somebody who seems to be maybe a little more than a regular human being, but of but also not like this the whole God concept that we that we think of. Um, often uh, Elohim is is seen as the or is basically um, the the author of the story is is identifying the character that he's witnessing as an Elohim. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes it's not even that. A lot of times it's uh, they're actually just called a messenger. Okay. Um, and many because many times the witness is getting some kind of message. And um, that whole messenger thing has kind of evolved into what we uh, generally consider to be angels. But they're the, the biblical case for um, our view of what an angel is is pretty much non-existent in the canonical Bible. Uh, okay. They're, 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 it's talked about in um, the Book of Enoch and some of some of the other books, which are specifically have been cut from the Bible. So it's very interesting to me that um, even though we're, you could even say not allowed to read the mm -hmm. Book of Enoch. That is that we keep some of the concepts that are in there. Um, so angels is a very, very strange phenomenon that, uh, I mean, it's a strange phenomenon in and of itself, but then the way that we, that that has kind of morphed into um, the, the sort of acceptable theology of Christianity is possibly even stranger uh, because it's literally but just been edited out, and yet it's still there. You know, one of the things, because, of course, you know, the Old Testament and everything, we're looking at it, you know, Hebrew, it was the Hebrew people, the, the, the you know, but at that time, of course, there were a lot of other ancient civilizations. And when you said ancient aliens, you, you know, you always get the impression that uh, extraterrestrials, um, in other words, all these different civilizations perhaps had contact with some extraterrestrials. We don't know. Did you run across anything right. where uh, back in the, well, it would be the Old Testament, where they, like you said, they, they didn't recognize them per se as gods or deities. How's that? Yeah, but for sure. What was, um, what was their attitude? Uh, they exist or they're, you have to be careful with them or... We've just observed them. In other words, we really didn't have any interaction, but we observed them or we observed something about them. Well, I, I mean, if you look at these encounters, um, they're literally physical encounters. Okay. And um, many, many times there's physical evidence uh, left behind, which would make it a close encounter of the second kind mm -hmm. um, or possibly third and fourth, because there's often communication uh, happening between them. So, what we're generally not talking about is, hey, look at that weird light in the sky. Isn't that strange? Right. It must be something. No, it's not like that. It's far more significant than that kind of thing. Um, and it has, you know, it's it's been happening for thousands of years and it's never stopped uh, because we still, to this day, have uh, millions of people every year who are witnessing similar things. Now, if you count the, hey, that's a weird light over there. Well, I've met lots of people who've who've seen that and I, and it comes across my plate, you know, 
well, maybe weekly or monthly where somebody contacts me and says, hey, I just saw this weird light. I'm like, okay, well, that's that's cool. I mean, it might be something, but it's hard to say anything about a weird light unless you can sure. see it moving in specific ways. Um, and there are some cases in the Bible where there is basically just a weird light. And uh, the most famous of which is um, in Matthew, uh, the book of Matthew, where the three wise men uh, follow this weird light to Bethlehem. Right, um, exactly. But that one is more than just a weird light because it's a weird light that they're able to follow for weeks or months at a right, time. Right, the, the, the Magi, right. They, they, people don't realize right. that they arrived days and days and days after the birth of Christ. Yeah. Yeah, they couldn't just hop on the freeway and, and just follow <laughs> yeah. that light. It's going to take weeks. Or, like, it's going to take a long time. They're on foot or possibly uh, with donkeys or camels or something. Mm -hmm. um, either way, it's a long journey from wherever the heck they came from, uh, which was far away. And essentially, all, all, the, all the Bible story says is that they came from far away. Uh, so we don't know uh, how far or, or where it was. But um, there are... I think there are indications that uh, they may have been from India or from China right, um, or someplace, you know, very far away like that. Um, but uh, so, yeah, there, there have always been these civilizations that have, have had these encounters and therefore have stories about them. Um, and some of the stories about the aliens are actually, well, now they're considered creation myths, um, uh -huh. but uh, A, they're probably not myths. They're probably based on um, somebody's eyewitness account okay. and uh, been hand handed on and passed down. Um, and many times they're not even about creation. Like, so this was a, a, another book that I wrote, the Enuma Elish, and this mm -hmm. is based on the Sumerian uh, mythology. Um, right. But again, it's, it's not mythology. It's uh, literally this this book is actually the story told from a first person point of view of one of the aliens who came to Earth or several okay. of them. Actually, it was like a whole family business uh, right. that uh, they came from somewhere else and came to Earth. So in, in that, that particular story, it is sort of a, you can call it a creation myth because they're not claiming to create the earth, but they are claiming to come to earth and to uh, either create from scratch, it's not clear, or at least right. genetically modify what later become the human race. Right, right. Which is when, when you think of it, I think what, well, back then, even now, we've we, there's always a debate. If they're here, what are they doing here? What do they want? And if you right. if you take it in as in we're talking that they've been visiting the earth, you know, even from the times of ancient civilizations. OK, so what do they what 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 do they want? They haven't gotten it by now. And then, you know, you hear all these theories about um, yeah. hybridization, genetic materials, uh, uh, you know, and of course, there's different. Is there more than one race or species of extraterrestrials? You get into that whole that some of the ancient ones leave and now the ones that are around today are they different ones um and the yeah, reason those why, are really good questions right we you know you have this and the reason why i asked the thing about is that nowadays even though we're primed because of whether modern society news outlets you name it just people are more primed to accepting uh 
whether it's a UFO sighting or an extraterrestrial contact, positive or negative, depends, you know, everybody's got a different. But I'm thinking if you, we're talking, let's say around that time period, all right, um, you would think that if they had a sighting of any type and of course contact, I would think most people would be scared at the initially because yeah. they, they understand on some level, whoever or whatever this is, is more powerful than I am. They just landed in a craft Absolutely. or, you know. Uh, so yeah. what you're talking about in that other book that you said about the Sumerians is that we're actually talking beyond the first contact. There, There's an actual integration into the society of that mm -hmm. time period. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So, well, according to the, the Enuma Elish now, I, what I have done in this book is... Um, I have not done any interpretation in terms of uh, translating from Sumerian to English. Okay. Uh, what I've done is I've taken the open source uh, translations that already exist. Mm -hmm. And I basically just uh, interjected a little bit of um, my own commentary. Uh, it's, it's pretty short. Like the, the book is um, probably over half of this book is the actual Sumerian, uh, just the Sumerian texts. Um, translated into English. So, but the funny thing is, is that I, okay, I'm a computer engineer. I've, mm -hmm. I've done, a, a, built a lot of software um, and that kind of stuff. And so I have, I have these things in my mind that I understand like virtualization, uh, databases, simulations. And when I read the story, these things are all jumping out at me that this story is a story about uh, computer software. It is about nav uh, primarily about cosmic navigation, uh, computer systems, uh, databases, and having to um, uh, essentially having to recalibrate that data because they are moving from uh, a place where they used to be. They have mm -hmm. either stolen or reverse engineered or something they've got this software uh from the from tiamat who, who used to have the software and now they're they're coming they're planning to come to earth and right. they have to recalibrate their software so that um they can figure out you know where they are and and so what, what it gets a lot into the um what you might recognize as the signs of the zodiac uh, but they're okay. really just constellations that happen to be uh, in a circular pattern around the orbit of Earth. So these constellations are, um, you could use any constellations, but these are handy because they fit on, on the horizon as, mm -hmm. as the Earth spins. And so these are the star patterns that they used in order okay. to determine a fixed location for where Earth is, because they needed to know where they were. They just pulled out of, maybe they just pour, pulled out a warp drive or okay. whatever. I don't know how that part works. Right. Um, but they were, they found themselves in a strange region of space and they had to figure out, um, okay, well, where are we? They had to get their bearings in terms of where they came from. Um, so that's truly what the Zodiac is. It has nothing to do with keeping time or seasons or calendars. It is useful for that, but that's a secondary purpose. What it mm -hmm. is truly for 
is to figure out where is Earth located in terms of the rest of the cosmos that we already know about. Right, they right. Already knew in about the middle of stars. all these star systems, or exactly, right. Mm -hmm. That's and and that's. Do you think that the extraterrestrials that like you've read about in all these texts, do you think that they're still around, or do you think that at some point they departed? If that was their plans to begin with, yeah. Well, um, it, of course, the texts that I am examining specifically uh, mm -hmm. so far are are pretty ancient, um, and they are generally talking. Well, so the Enuma Elish specifically talks about how they got here. Um, it does not mention um, them leaving, but that's because the story doesn't. It's like the story ends partway through their story. Um, there are many other uh, oral traditions as well as um, other ancient writings that um, that I, I admit I have not spe really specifically dove into yet, but okay. are part of my ongoing research now. Um, and many of these other stories are uh, do have um, elements of the aliens leaving. Um, for example, there are um, there is a Hebrew um, legend, I guess I'll call it. I I, um, I have not yet examined it uh, in the actual Hebrew, uh, but the translation of it basically implies that um, the there were I don't know who they're even talking about, but there were some. It's a story about basically. Uh, similar to kind of a Nephilim, uh, okay. a Nephilim story where the sons of God came and um, and had children with the human women. And so this story, the difference on this story is the the twist is that they uh, the, the women uh, fled the scene, and okay. one of them was left behind on Earth. Uh, presumably, we are her descendants, and the other six uh, fled to the Pleiades, okay. which is in very close to Orion. Uh, and both of those are basically in the Taurus um, constellation, which is the exact opposite side uh, from us as the galactic core. So okay. it's, I find it interesting that there is, uh, there, you know, as you do any kind of reading or, or even just watching um, the programming that's that's widely available is that a lot of people are talking about Orion, uh, a lot of people are talking about the Pleiades, and mm -hmm. they're basically the same thing. Um, and um, what's the other one there? Uh, I feel like I'm missing a, another constellation that's next door. Well, you, and, and you know what? I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, you, there's always been that talk about the missing link, you know, we're talking like Darwin evolution and everything, but the truth is they have never ever found the missing link, which is supposedly that jump from a hominid, like as in a primate to modern man there, they, they can't find right. it. Well, there, there's, there's been a lot of, uh, of uh, as a matter of fact, Piltdown man, it turned out that was a big hoax. So, yeah. Well, so the thing is there, there were a lot of hoaxes um, in the early days of, hominid archaeology. Um, mm -hmm. And to this day, a lot of the evidence that we have uh, in that field is based on very scant evidence, such mm -hmm. as, um, you know, a single tooth becomes 
um, a, a new species or in right. some cases like this tiny finger bone, right? Like that's all they got. And how do they know that it's a different species? And now it's, I, I believe that we're making a lot of progress on that. Um, there's a lot of DNA analysis going on. Um, right. But here, the most fascinating thing about it is that what we're finding in recent uh, years because of uh, advanced DNA technology um, and just because of the, the amount of work that's going on now, because if you think about how many people there were in 1920 who were specializing in archaeology, like a, a couple dozen in the world, maybe, right. tops. Um, now we're churning out, like our ac academic um, machine is, is so vast, like we're just churning out so many scholars. Um, and there's so much information available that we are able to uh, to comb over the work of other people and people who published 50 or 100 years ago, and and we're bringing new data to 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 bear on that and um, and you know new ways of looking at things. And so uh, one of the biggest things that I'm really excited about is um, the whole Neanderthal and um, Denisovan connections, yes. which are essentially Neanderthal never went extinct. We are Neanderthal. Right, exactly. Um, they realized my, that, that they all inter interbred, in other words. Yeah. And so I got my DNA results back from 23andMe, and I'm 4% Neanderthal. I'm 3% Neanderthal. The <laughs> there you go. So between the two of us, uh, we represent um, more than probably 97% uh, of the DNA. Uh, how am I saying this? Anyway. We're very, we're, you know, that those percentages are um, are a lot more than most people, but almost everyone has a little bit, like a tiny, mm -hmm. tiny fraction of a of a percentage. Um, so the when it, when you consider things like that, and they've also found um, a, a specific individual uh, who was um, a cave caveman, a girl, a young girl. Mm -hmm. And her uh, her DNA showed that she was like basically um, almost half, like half Neanderthal, half uh, Cro-Magnon, I believe it was, or else it right. was Denisovan. Um, so anyway, there was a lot of um, intermixing yes. culturally yes. and sexually, yes. and uh, we are the result of uh, of this huge melting pot, uh, yes. not only of like current humanity, but from going a long ways back. Um, it's also interesting just uh, in, in terms of DNA analysis, when, if, you, if any of your listeners, probably many of them have done 23andMe, and what mm -hmm. I found most fascinating when I first got it was, um, okay, I knew that I was like, I, I was expecting half Dutch uh, and a quarter English, quarter Scottish. Right. Well, and those were those were both those were all big in there, but then there were all these little things like five percent or you know some in the one to ten percent range of right. all of these other places that were, that are far away from there. Mm -hmm. And how did how did those people yes. uh, get my great 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 grandmother pregnant? Like how right. how does that work? Because we have this concept that for thousands of years, people have just been living in the same place, farming away or, you know, 
doing their thing and nobody traveled because they were all just a bunch of poor farmers. It's not the right. case at all. Right. Um, so like really everything that we know is wrong. Right. And well, that's they, one really they, good they exactly. They, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, that Easter Island, you know, the Rapa Nui, which were Polynesians. Yeah. They were, yeah. and of course, like you said, with the use of DNA, for example, they, they were looking at some of these, um, these giant uh, heads, stone heads, very similar. Well, no, I'll take that back. Not all of them are similar to the ones on Easter Island. There was one that supposedly is out in the jungles of Guatemala, but the tribes in that area, that was their thing, that they would carve these huge heads with a couple of tons. There was one that was unlike the features of the other ones. It turns mm -hmm. out that they recently did a DNA on 27 Rapa Nui, which are people from the Easter Islands, okay? And if based on that finding, it shows that the Polynesians went all the way and came up either to the coast of Chile or Peru, traveled in to the interior of Guatemala, and then came back out and went back to the Easter Island. In other words, when they looked yeah. at the genome, it's like it wasn't just a happenstance one-time thing. And they were saying that, right. that that there's trying to draw the correlation between the, um, you know, the carvings of these big giant heads, just like they had on Easter Island. The features are different, but I guess that whatever it is that prompt, prompts them to do that. And nobody ever mm -hmm. thought that the Polynesians could travel that far away, much less going to the interior, obviously, um, mate, breed, whatever you want to call it bring them back to East Island and they go, in other words, right. like you said, a lot of times we kind of shortchange some of these uh, older civilizations thinking, oh, they're limited. You know, they can't think that. And supposedly yeah. and, these and, Polynesians don't even have, they, they, they had their own uh, way of, their own uh, navigation system. You know. Totally. And and so these guys, uh, you know, our, our ancestors or uh, not necessarily directly, but there have been uh, people all over the world um, very well documented because they have the stories and they're telling the stories uh, and they've never stopped telling the stories. Mm -hmm. We just don't listen. Um, but it is actually very well documented that uh, people in all all uh, throughout Southern Asia, Polynesia, uh, to, down to Australia, mm -hmm. uh, as well as on the Pacific coast, um, in both North America and uh, South America, both coasts, um, people have always been seafaring. Um, yes. This whole idea that they didn't have boats is utter bullshit. Um, yes. There's zero evidence for it. And uh, the evidence against it has been looking us in the face literally for hundreds of years. Um, so I'll let, based on you know the thing that you were just talking about, the giant heads, uh, you may might be referring to some of the Olmec statues. Yes, the Olmecs, um, exactly. That are, yeah. So, so the, and the Olmecs, uh, um, these uh, giant heads in um, Mexico and Mesoamerica and South America mm -hmm. were discovered over 100 years ago. Yes. And people at the time looked at them and said, now, this is going to be a little bit racist. but and but no, I know exactly what you're going to say, what you're, what you're going to Yes, I know that. I know what you're going to say, but go ahead. One, they, they took one look at this carving and said, that's an African. They, mm -hmm. That's a Negro. Yes. And, well, yeah, it looks exactly like, um, it, basically, my friend from Nigeria looks very similar to this uh, one carved head. And... 
that's not to say that you know everybody see, looks the, the same. Thing, that they show but, pictures though of Aboriginals and of Indigenous people, and there's a, they look exactly, and they they, yeah. they look like those statues. So it mm -hmm. was like, in other words, that again, people sometimes also get this preconceived idea of Indigenous people having to look a certain way, and that could change right. depending on the area, as far as the their their features per se. Absolutely. Um, and there's, you know, there has always been migration of, um, of people and migration mm -hmm. of, of the gene pool uh, with constant right. stirring. So it's ridiculous to think that everybody always looks the same way if they're in this one particular area. Even if there is patterns that are recognizable, um, there are always the exceptions and people who look the opposite. Um, right. I mean, red hair is a good example, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's been easily tracked for through many different cultures that um, occasionally somebody would pop up with red hair yes. in places where there generally isn't any. And mm -hmm. so it's the same kind of thing. Um, well, did you have and, you ever heard of these Olmecs when you said and I, and I want, that they discovered this is in uh, a little town uh south of in southern guatemala called la democracia it's like a village it's not really even a town back in the 1930s they say 1950s but if you look at the picture the there's a car next to it to scale it looks like the 1930s okay. they did find one of these large heads but the features look a lot more like easter island versus the other olmec ones you know which have the wider nose the bigger yeah. lip i don't know if have you ever seen that picture um, I have seen that. Um, I, I don't have a, a copy of it, but I have seen right, that. Right, right. Um, so, some of these pictures are, frankly, really difficult to find, um, yes. which kind of makes you wonder if they're being suppressed. Um, yes. And uh, there is definitely absolutely no question that there is information being suppressed, uh, but I, I have no, um, I'm not really interested in speculating uh, in terms of which uh, which exact pieces of information. Um, but if you uh, look at the track record of the Smithsonian in how they have treated uh, giant remains, um, mm -hmm. there's a there's a huge, huge cover-up going on there, um, which really shouldn't be any surprise because uh, cover-ups have always been the way to keep things under wraps. And why do we need to keep things under wraps? I don't know, but part of it is to control the narrative uh, right, exactly. so that you can have exactly. power. Exactly, right. because it makes you um, think. A lot of I know a lot of these academics, especially back then, they have a, there's a lot of ego involved in their discoveries. Like you said, this absolutely. is this is the version we're going to put out, and we don't want to go back and say we were wrong or yep. we guesstimated wrong. Absolutely, and still, there's that's still happening, and. Um, Thankfully, it's, you know, we're, we're in this kind of age where it's harder to get away with that kind of stuff, um, mm -hmm. but it still is happening. Um, and um, let's look at Egypt uh, specifically, yes. because uh, there's a guy named Zahi Hawass, who um, for 30 years uh, did his level best to stop any kind of progress at all in Egypt. Um, right. Why would he do that? His job was... He, he was the head of um, basically the whole cultural department of mm -hmm. um, archaeology. I forget what they call it, but uh, 
essentially antiquities, any antiquities. Yeah, exactly. So anything that had to do with ancient Egypt and museums or archaeology was under his purview. He was in charge of it, and he had final say in terms of who was allowed to do what and say what about ancient Egypt. Um, mm -hmm. And he made some extremely bold claims. Uh, at one point, I read a quote by him um, that said, and this was probably dated, um, I'm thinking of, um, probably about 10 to 15 years ago, he said this, and that was, I'm directly quoting him, there, there is nothing new to find on the Giza Plateau. All, uh, all discoveries of any importance have already been made. Now, this is very interesting, considering he was just trying to stop people from coming in. Um, but mm -hmm. it's interesting that uh, approximately 10 years after he claimed that, he, he himself made a very substantial discovery. Where? On the Giza Plateau. Sure. Um, so clearly, like, I, yeah, it's just um, kind of amazing the kind of shit that these guys are doing. Thankfully, yeah. um, he, he has moved on. Um, there was a lot of political uh, mix-up in in the last uh, five or six years in um, Egypt, and one of the good things that that came out of that was that uh, it sounds like the the new um, the people who are in charge of that department now uh, seem to be a lot more open. Um, I know even in the last two years, even during COVID. There have been some pretty significant um, expansions in terms of uh, what's, what um, certain types of people are allowed to do uh, and what you're allowed to go uh, look at in Egypt. Even yeah. um, a common, like a normal tourist, can get access to, uh, to places that have been closed for 20 years. Um, so right. I, I think, think that, that things that, are happening. That people forget. It's, it's not even a question because... It's not like if, let's say, a team from another country comes in and discovers something, they can't take it anyway. It's not the question of them taking the artifacts. I think people don't realize that there's there's ego involved. If if anybody, if anything of significance is going to be found, we want us to be the ones to find it, as in, let's say, an Egyptian team. That's right. why I think, and I'm saying Egypt, but it could also be other countries that also do that. Okay. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It happens everywhere. and. To be honest, America is probably worse oh, yeah. um, because yeah. can you even has there ever has there ever been an archaeological team come from another country to America? No, no, no. <laughs> probably not. Um, right off the bat, no. There's plenty of there's plenty of interesting stuff to look at in America sure. that's way older than anyone is letting on. Um, sure. So I I live in Canada. Uh, one of the um, most interesting things that we've uh, found in Canada in the last couple of years is we have um, scientifically proven uh, that the the local First Nations people um, on the Pacific coast uh, have are, have been saying telling the truth though all along uh, when they said we've been here since the Ice Age. Um, so we now have a, a pretty fresh archaeological site that has proven by carbon dating that uh, that exact same group, um, you might think of it as a tribe, it's, you know, mm -hmm. it's kind of like they have their own um, 
culture and their own traditions and language. And uh, this particular group has been saying that they've been in that area uh, for 14, uh, 12 to 14,000 years. And that's been proven by carbon dating. Exactly. Um, now, th this is really interesting because uh, what you got to realize is that um, about 10, 10,000 years ago and previous to that, uh, most of the land that they would have occupied is now 400 mm -hmm. feet underwater. So just think about right. how much uh, cool stuff there is if we were really to focus on underwater archaeology. Oh, absolutely. Which is a field I mean, I know it's got to be more very, challenging, very obviously, because of, yeah. uh, you know, you've, you've got to dive. But uh, yes, of course, there's a lot of things that, um, uh, from what I'm seeing is the timeline of, how can I say, humans is much older than what we've been led to believe as far as, oh, yeah. you know, when we... Uh, we basically came down from the trees and, you know, uh, fire and then, you know, all the other stuff that they give us. That timeline, I think we have to push it way back further uh, than what yes, it is. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so there's been a, a lot of really good um, progress on that front as well, especially around um, sites like Gobekli Tepe and mm -hmm. uh, certain other sites in, in Turkey, um, and as well as uh, probably another at least a handful of possibly another dozen sites uh, that are about the same in that same age range and some which are possibly even um, even much older than that um, yes. although we're still trying to get um, you know more solid evidence uh, because a lot of times it's difficult to prove um, and there's sure there's guesswork involved uh, but um, until, until 10 years ago, um, everyone thought, and nobody could prove otherwise, uh, that the first civilization was ancient Sumeria in uh, 3000 BC. Um, right. So Gobekli Tepe pushed that back by double uh, mm -hmm. because it's now there's civilization uh, 12,000 years ago. Yes. Um, so it's, it's huge. And you can't, uh, you can't ignore that. And I think that's really one, been one of the sort of um, major shifts in in the field of archaeology is that a lot of people who would have spent 30 years going, no, 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 it's garbage or yeah, whatever. Well, well, they can't argue with it anymore. Like, Gobekli Tepe is absolutely inarguable. Right, exactly. It's like, okay, you can't, it's like, I don't know, I'm sure you're familiar with Leakies, which was a family with, that did a lot of the... Yeah how can I say the excavations, the digs for all these, uh, again, in search of the, the missing link turns out these people, yeah. you know, in other words, you couldn't say they were wrong. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't go right. against the word. Uh, whatever they said was, that's it. If you know, they, they, they did all the link right. and come to find out a lot of their stuff was, I don't want to say manipulated, but the people, they wanted to hold on to their power and God forbid yeah. they should say, you know what we claimed as far as, this finding, and like you said, all that maybe they found was maybe the a finger or a tooth or a yeah. molar. Um, yeah. So, well, that's the thing is a lot of people can't say, you know what, I was wrong, even if it was 50 years ago. And But there's yes. actually good reason for that because some of these people, um, now it's not 
probably not the same now, but back in the day when these guys were doing their work, if the leakies were to admit that they had made a mistake, even a small single mistake, they would have been fired and they would have been blacklisted and no one would have hired them, which is really difficult because in their, their line of work, there were probably five universities uh, right. which were you know world-class where they could have got jobs um, and they wouldn't have hired them. Right, right. And All so what are they going to do? Yeah. So it's either you're going to be flipping burgers or uh, sweeping floors or yeah. you have to lie. And that's a very yeah. shitty position to be in. Um, right. And the reason for it is not because of anything that they did, but because of the idiotic like way that the institutions are set up. Can you imagine um, working at a university where if you say, okay, so imagine you're the university administrator. Mm -hmm. Somebody comes into you and says, hey, you know what? I made a mistake. Oh, you're fired. That's going to be your response, obviously, right? right. No, that's no, 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 like, no. We're not, we're not going to go with that verse. Well, but you know what? That thing <laughs> that I thought was no, 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 no. You know, we're not going to do that because we're very prestigious. And I tell everybody, it, it, you know, the first movie of Jurassic Park, you know, at the very beginning, how they're on this dig for in the middle of nowhere and this little trailer. People don't realize all these archaeological digs from universities, they're funded by grants. Okay, somebody's got to pay for them to sit out there yeah. and dig in the dirt, sometimes without yeah. coming up with it for anything. All right. So um, this is part of what you're saying is not only if I want to keep my job, but if I want to keep on exploring out here, mm -hmm. I need money to do that. Exactly. And they love what they're doing. Um, yes. So, I mean, I, it's got to be very tempting, right? That's all I'm saying. I'm I'm not saying that they were right or that certainly that the university was right, uh, but that's the way it is. And, um, you know, it, economy is always a problem. Economy sure. is a problem no matter what you're doing. Um, I mean, or I have a day if, job. Or if that university <laughs> or whoever's funding it, which a lot of them are universities, even though now, now there's a lot of private corporations, or if that's the narrative they want. No, you know, yeah. that's not, that's not what we want to, that, no, that's not what we want to put out because mm, no, yeah. Okay. We'll take that. Right. Into, in the meantime, you know, you're going to not talk about that. Uh, right. And I'm sure so even you've, got, now, you've got the Academy doing that. You've got governments doing that. Um, sure. not probably mm -hmm. from a different standpoint, you've got yes. uh, religious institutions doing that. Um, so there's all these pressures uh, that you yes. have to somehow live up to like whatever the hell that it is that the powers that be want right now. Um, and yeah, it's, it's actually a really crazy field. So I'm glad that I have a day job because my livelihood is completely not tied to uh, One my thing ability to, to say whatever exactly. the hell I want. Exactly. Right. People don't realize that uh, when you have somebody that's got the, their, their, they can control your income or your livelihood. Yeah. That makes a big difference as to like, well, I guess I'm just going to have to shut up about this, <laughs> you know. Exactly. And and imagine, uh, I mean, uh, imagine that you go on Facebook and you say whatever opinion you happen to have about any particular topic, and the next day your boss gives you shit about it. Oh, yeah. That's not cool, man. But that's yes. the kind of stuff that these guys had to deal with. Right, right. And I know that um, a lot of these... Uh, 
But and the flip side of it is is that some of these uh, wherever these universities or they, that they have this how can I say this reputation, they're 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 it's all about more about their reputation. Uh, let's say in academics, oh this came from so and so university, so it's it's gospel. It's like it's got to be the truth. Yeah. Very yeah. very rarely do they ever go back and 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 eventually what happens is the people that were involved in it die <laughs> or, or anybody that could be around to say hey that's not exactly right they they die you know as time goes by right. so it's like okay we're in the clear our version is the accepted one and that's the way it's going to be for whatever reason right whether it's right. just that's why it takes, or... it takes, yeah that's why it takes 20 to 50 years to see any change in academia yes they say the old yeah. people that'll die i hate to say that but that's what you hear it's only when the old guards go, you know, push up daisies that then you start seeing, you know, whether you want to call it a renaissance or, hey, new ideas, things of this nature come up or accept it. How's that yeah. entertained? Um, yeah, exactly. And which I think is it's a shame. But, you know, uh, again, people don't realize that um, a lot of these academics have real big egos. And. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, the, even 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 with that, none of that change would happen if it weren't for people who were willing to stick stick their neck out. And these guys are getting uh, bullied and harassed, even if they have nothing to do with academia. Um, sure. You have a, a guy like, say, um, uh, Graham Hancock, for example, who yes. is a journalist, and he starts talking about some interesting stuff, and what happens he's getting uh, publicly derided uh, yes. by the by the academics and like why he's saying something it has nothing to do with any of you guys it's not affecting right. your funding just like shut up um and yet it's it, like this they don't want guy. anybody I mean, to I listen feel... to them. yeah well, the, the, you know 2 weeks ago they had this here in the, the senate met to have ufo discussions Something they hadn't done in fifty mm -hmm. years, very. And I asked myself, well, why no, now? that's not true. The Congress has met over the UFO subject on at least five occasions in the last five years that I know of. Really, and I don't even live in your country. Um, there was in twenty thirteen. There was a big thing. Uh, this was before the, um, uh, be both before and after the first round of uh, naval videos that were leaked uh, with mm -hmm. the. Um, I forget which one it was. The Nimitz, I believe, was that one. Okay. Um, so, so that was happening then. Um, a few years later, uh, well, that that was really picked up um, by um, oh, I can't think of the fellow's name right now. Um, there was there was a guy who was just doing so much work. Um, basically, his entire focus uh, was full time. Um, Basically, lobbying uh, Congress and um, you know the the powers that be in in D.C. and um, he spent several years doing that full time, um, and which resulted in a, a few congressional hearings. Um, then it was also picked up by um, the guy from Blink One Eighty Two. I forget his name now. Um, mm -hmm. And he he did a few uh, hearings with Congress, and um, that was all, you know, um, around sort of between 2013 and 2018. 
um, what that, that was all happening. And then, um, of course, there was the other, uh, the other disclosure that came uh, from the Navy with uh, the other videos, the Go Fast video, the Tic Tac right. video. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that prompted another round. Um, so there was some in 2019. Uh, I believe there was some in 2021. And then now again now. So uh, I find it very strange that everyone thinks this is the first time. Well, this is what um, I believe it or not, that's what I understood. It was like Senate has now met for to discuss UFOs for 50 years. And I was like, wow, okay, why now? What's going on? And yeah. one of the things I, I don't rem- I do not recall the senator's name. There was one who said that, you know, they're all talking about the importance of UFOs and what UFOs accept that they're considering do we need to look at people putting out misinformation about UFOs? Should they be prosecuted or looked at? I was like, what? Right. So, so here's an interesting point. He is putting out misinformation regarding UFOs by allowing the the press mm-hmm. to to carry the story that this is the first time. They're doing this willingly and manipulatively. Right. This is absolutely 100% suppression on one hand, but disclosure on the other. Sure. The right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing, and that's on purpose. Uh, because they're very conveniently forgetting about where we where we're at because of the progress we've already made, and just making it seem like every time somebody says something, they're the hero for finally stepping up and saying something. Um, it just doesn't fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, this is sort of the whole thing: is that there there definitely is a lot of um, work going into controlling the narrative around sure. the UAP phenomenon. Um, and that work is, um, well, who knows, who knows what the, what the motive is or what the end game is. Do you think it has something to do that UFO is one of the most, how can I say, uh, one of the, one of the most used or terms, if you go into Google search, the most, one of the most searched for terms, do you think has anything to do with Mm -hmm. that? Well, that certainly helps when it comes to selling books. (laughs) <laughs> and I, well, I can only tell you that because I, I also have a novel. The narrative. It's like, oh, if, if we've got yeah. these, these many people are listening or interested in this, you know, this is not just yeah, some. That's, that's definitely true. Um, so, I mean, people in power always are interested in having ears to talk to. Um, yes. So definitely that is certainly a factor. Um, but it is to me very interesting the things that they're saying right now, because the content that is currently being spewed um, is absolutely uh, 100% um, contradictory to everything that we have already learned about this. If you've if you've been following the UFO phenomenon uh, for any length of time, you yeah, already know yeah. about Bob Lazar. Of course. Um, well, well, but, but that's we already the, know about- why, why now all of a sudden they're looking at anybody that's going to put out misinformation. In other words, you, me, anybody wants to talk about UFOs that they consider misinformation. It's like, okay, no, 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 we got to control this. So everybody here that wants to talk about it or put forth an explanation or a story, nope. And when I heard that, I was like, what in the world is that about? People have been talking about UFOs or giving their theories for how long? Now all of a sudden- yeah. oh. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but don't you guys have an amendment about that? Yes, we do. But in your constitution, uh, I could, that, that, that's a whole other show. I could go into what happened <laughs> with our amendments, but but when I heard that, it was like, what are you talking about? You know, he brought it up like, oh, we have to consider like how important this thing with the UFOs is. That 
people, you know, and of course the way they phrase it is very putting out misinformation. And I was like, wow, that that yeah. could be anything you want it to be. You know? Yeah. So w what I, what strikes me the most right now is that um, the the officials, the stuffed shirts, and the talking heads are really fear mongering about around the whole thing because now they're they're really using a lot of language like um, threat and concern yeah. and uh, security and things like this, where it's like, okay, well, first of all, you guys obviously know that it's not a threat because if mm -hmm. you know anything about UFOs. You know that they've been on U.S. soil for since at least from 1947 and very, very well documented ever since, every year since 1947. And there's been task force after task force and probably not, it's probably not um, an over-exaggeration to say billions of dollars have been invested in uh, both investigating, securing, and controlling the narrative around the sure. UFO and now UAP. Um, this is not some, oh, is it true or not investigation. This is absolutely, we know that we're dealing with something here. And we also know that it's not a threat uh, because we've been dealing with it for uh, 50, well, more than that, 70 years. Um, so after 70 years, uh, the government is now trying to put a spin on it that, oh, it's dangerous. Why? Because they want to scare you like everything else they're doing. Um, the whole thing that happened in, in Texas and yes. like everything that happens on CNN is 100% designed to yes. scare you. Um, yes, I'm not yeah. an American. I don't have that kind of shit flying in my face every day. And thank God, because I could not even live in your country. But like, you know seriously. what it is? It's that, and I guess, again, if you want to say it, it's like before you had three main channels and newspapers, you know, in other words, mm -hmm. you get it instantaneously in your face in living color with full details. Okay. And yep. Um, yep. people don't realize the, the effect of that constant anxiety. Why do you think, you know, there's always been people with insomnia. Don't get me wrong. That, that's, that's a human condition. But nowadays they're even selling NyQuil to go to sleep. Why do you think I say? Why do you think people have such a hard time getting a, a, a night's sleep, even when there's nothing wrong? It's because we're getting so bombarded during our waking yeah. hours. Everything is wrong. Everything With is so wrong all the time. Yeah, and everything, yeah. by the way, is you're on the edge of the precipice. You know, it's like, yeah. huh? Oh my god! Uh, and uh, yeah. I tell everybody that um, because I I used to do I was a well I still am a hypnotherapist, but I used to run a hypnotherapy center for a while for a few years and. People don't realize that what will put you into a hypnotic trance is anxiety. All right. When and by that mm -hmm. I mean is that um, if you're in a hypnotic trance with your eyes open, everybody thinks that you have to be with your eyes closed. Everything that you see here, everything that you take in goes direct into your subconscious mind. Okay. Right. Where usually if you're not hypnotized, you have a filter that'll say, eh, you know, that sounds kind of like uh, you know, in other words, you filter it, you think it out, you analyze it. And a lot of times you don't accept it as truth. How's that? Whereas when you're in right. a hypnotic trance produced by anxiety, everything you go, it goes straight into your subconscious mind. And of course it takes roots, it takes root there. And that's why a lot of people, sometimes they find the a large amount of people, unfortunately find themselves worrying, like besides their own personal things, it's like everything is uh, the end of the world is around the corner kind of deal. 
You Absolutely. Know? Uh, and that's exactly the intent of the American propaganda machine, yes. which, by the way, is working uh, on a scale far greater and vaster and more effective and efficient than the Nazi propaganda machine ever was. Oh, well, of course, because just think the Internet is wonderful for a lot of things, but for in other. How can I say it's just the media, whether it's via the Internet with nowadays, a lot of people, that's how they get their information. Uh I'm going to give you a perfect example. <laughs> the Johnny Depp Amber Heard uh, trial. I remember yesterday, I'm I'm looking at my phone. I'm getting, at 3 p.m., they're going to say the, and I was like, what? Because I really didn't follow it. You know, I, you know, I saw a couple of headlines, but I really didn't follow it. And it was like, it was like monumental, you know? And we're, right. all we're talking about right. is two celebrities that, you know, they had a nasty divorce and now one was suing the other for defamation. They're like, okay. Who cares? But, like, I, how is this literally going to change my life? But it does because yes. we allow, we invite it into our life. Yes. And we say, this is important. In fact, yes. this is now life or death. And this is the thing is that I think that's why America is so polarized because yes. with a two party system and everything is life or death and everyone yes. has to now control everyone else around everything. them. It's yes. not okay to just have your opinion. Yes. You have to make sure that everyone knows your opinion. Um, okay. And it's, it's crazy. And I don't know how Let anybody. Me tell you something. That, I, you know. and, and that's, you know what, you're, you, you know, every, and you're absolutely right. There was a time where, how, how can I say it for lack of a better word? Cause I'm old enough to know that to grow up in that where differences were tolerated, whether they were political differences, whatever, whatever. It was like, okay, it's okay. It's not gonna, it's not the end of the world. How's that? It's not, it's not earth yeah. shattering. It's like, all right, right. you know, I'll, I'll wait till right. the next and election come around or whatever, whatever it was, you know, even on the local level, yeah. it, whatever it was, it was not so monumental, you know, it, something much closer to home had to impact you on that level, whether it was a loved one or something like that, then then that's when, okay, things are really serious. But all these other things were important, but not the way they are now, where it's yeah. like you said, it's life or death. Everything is. Um, yeah. It's it's interesting that you, that you say, like, so basically you're mm, com comparing it, but almost not even metaphorically, you're essentially saying that um, we are all hypnotized. And, yeah. and I think you're right. And another way of saying that would be uh, because I have a book on the subject of magic. Um, it makes sense to me to think about it, that everyone is under a spell mm -hmm. um, because really what is a spell? A spell is, uh, well, there's a lot of different kinds of spells. There's some that are physical manifestations, um, but right. there are some that are essentially uh, um, the fact of altering uh, the mental state of a person. And yes. the funny thing is, is when you can alter the mental state of a person, you actually are creating a physical manifestation because that person literally goes and does things based on that thought pattern that you have um, like set up in their mind. So it's very interesting. Um, the fact that uh, really our entire society and this goes far beyond America and, and politics, but our entire civilization now is built on information. And what is information but a spell? So 
I'm looking at you uh, through a camera, which mm -hmm. is casting a spell onto my computer, and my computer yes. is casting a spell on me, and I cast spells back onto my computer, and it's this whole big uh, firestorm of, of spells that are happening. And it's not necessarily bad. Uh, it's not necessarily good. But what it really says to me is that this really harkens back to um, the very, very earliest stories that we have, which are also talking about these same things. You think of the, um, in the book of Genesis in the Bible, we have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's really the, the story that it's telling is that um, there are, there are, there's information, there's knowledge, there's thought patterns that we uh, interface with that are both the best thing in the world and killing us. Sure. Yeah. The technology has a lot of benefits. And I'm gonna, the way I look at it is exactly what you just described, whether it's the camera, basically it acts as the portal for the spell. Okay. Once mm -hmm. upon a time when there was no internet, let's say no cell phones, not even pagers. Let's go back to just a simple mm -hmm. phone line. Okay. The other yeah. point, the other only point of entry was somebody would call you. And if nobody answered, they hang up. And that was it. And or send you snail mail. End of story. This was the That's only right. point of entry to access you. All right. People didn't expect right. you to and those be were powerful. always available. Those were powerful points too. Yes. Um, I actually experienced healing through um, through a telephone okay. and also over over TV. Um, mm -hmm. So it's interesting that there are there are things that can direct uh, physical manifestation of the human body without necessarily even interfacing through the mind. I mean, I guess in a way it is. Maybe it's all in my head. So well, somebody told me I was healed. It's all in my head, but I was. Behind every, whether you want to call it a spell, whether you want to call it healing, yeah. it all comes down yeah. to intent. Okay, intent. Mm -hmm. All right. right. Now, if you could say, well, you know what? Everybody that has access to me, let's say via the internet, let's go that route. I know that their intent yeah. is positive, but you can't, but we're, we can't do that. There's, oh, there's no, we have no filter <laughs> to say, what we're seeing or what maybe a one-to-one, -one, let's say like what we're having now, what is the intent of that person in, in some instances? If you can control right. that, you can say, well, okay. I would posit to you that you can control that. Um, and I will give myself as an example because okay. um, I, I'm, I am, I wouldn't say I was cautious, but I am careful uh, mm -hmm. about the types of applications that I use. Okay. and uh and how i do that so i i do use social media i use mm -hmm. facebook primarily um i do i do a lot of stuff on youtube and i also watch a lot of cool stuff on youtube um mm -hmm. i i experimented with tr with twitter and with um uh what's the video thing uh, come on with the eight seconds of video or whatever oh, TikTok. Uh, anyway tiktok yeah, yeah. So I have accounts on both of those, and I once in a while will log in um, if I have to make a post mostly. Uh, but mm -hmm. I I basically avoid those two places like the plague because they are absolute filth. Like the shit that I see as soon as I log in there makes me instantly angry or mm -hmm. just like I just don't want to see this. So yep. what do I do? I don't log into those. Um, yep. And how do I control Facebook? 
I one time went through my feed or sorry, went through my friends list and I, um, I didn't unfriend anybody, but I unfollowed over like uh, there was hundreds of people. So I unfollowed everyone. And then I thought, okay, well, who are the people that actually have interesting things to say that I want to hear from? And I, I followed them back. So, um, so it is a lot of work. Um, yes, but yes. right now my Facebook feed is a very positive place. Well, you know uh, what I think I also, Ken, at the beginning, myself included, uh, how can I say we went into a lot of the social media kind of like, oh, you know, it's a place to like share pictures of your kids or the family of the vacation or my cat or my dog or my farm or my, you know, or, you know, just talk or people. Yeah. I, I don't think people realize at that point how much of themselves they were putting in that was that, you know, that now they didn't see the eternity of social media in the sense of what you post. Once it's there, it's there. And let's say most ordinary people (laughs) didn't think of it that way. And now, you know, when people come to realize, you know, they're scraping information, uh, this information is manipulated. Uh, Also who has access to this information that you would think who'd be interested in Mm -hmm. me. I'm like, nobody. People right. are becoming But more... is that necessarily a bad thing? And, I, and no. I've had this conversation hundreds of times, but I, I'm all for Google scraping all of the data that it can get on me because it benefits me directly. Sure. How so? I only see advertisements for cool stuff sure. that I think is cool because that they know what I think is cool. Um, so I would, I would much rather um, see the same ad, even though it gets repetitive, than always be seeing a whole bunch of other random ads that I really don't care about. I think it would be different if all these, if this tech, whoever the tech is, whether it's Google, anybody, Facebook, whatever, Mm -hmm. they would ask you, do you want us to give you recommendations based on your activity? Okay. Whereas people were realizing I'm being manipulated. I I mean, I'm sure you've heard the stories. People will They they do have that. And then all of a sudden you start getting all this advertising for this. And it's like, yep. nobody likes that. Yeah, so, watched. <laughs> well, that's true. Uh, but I will say that um, at least most of the uh, most of the sites that that I have, oh. have looked at, um, they actually do ask you. Like for example, uh, on your, both Facebook and Google, they have always had the do we when they started doing the um, smart ads. They, yeah. It was an opt-in thing. Now I don't know if they've changed their policy. Maybe, uh, but you're right. Like definitely, nobody asked me if um, if they if I would allow voice recognition software on my wife's phone to control what I see. Like that's weird. Yes. And you're you're right. That's there's definitely um, a high level of espionage happening. Uh, and do people have, are people stealing your data? Absolutely. They are. Yeah. And, and, and I think a lot of people at the beginning didn't, didn't get it. We were so overwhelmed with the convenience of technology, whether it was social media or phones, et cetera, et cetera. Um, even though of course, and I have my own, like I said, I've lived long enough to realize what it's life is like without these. There's times that I'm very glad I have it, but there's times Mm -hmm. that I want to like dig a hole in my backyard and bury it there and never bring it up. But yeah. um, again, it's like, uh, and you have to understand also that because of that, what we were talking way back earlier, which is controlling the narrative, 
You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And yeah. even to the point, so, and my, my husband gets mad when the phone tells him to turn down the volume. And they don't realize sometimes you have it connected to, let's say, one of these uh, Bluetooth speakers. So you turn up the volume. So, you you know, it'll sound loud. And he's like, just stupid thing is telling me to turn up the volume. And it's like, on its face, it might seem like something very simple. But I think that it's very insidious um, where I I know how to modulate volume to my comfort level. Don't worry about it. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. But. But you're right, because it is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yes. As everything is. That metaphor applies to literally everything. Um, that might be the most brilliant part of the of the entire Bible right there. Um, I, but, I okay, so earlier, because we're talking about um, uh, motivation and, and um, controlling the narrative and this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So... It's it's obvious to me that uh, the ETs have been here for at least ten thousand years, um, possibly way longer, um, and they haven't destroyed us yet. Although they probably have tried to, and they probably actually have destroyed us several times and then rebuilt us, um, which is one of the reasons why um, your point to the missing link is that uh, yeah no we were. We were um, basically trashed and rebooted, and there is no uh, there's no direct flow because it's an abrupt stop and a, a new upgrade. You can't if you look at your old computer that had had Windows ninety five on it. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no slow translit transition to the computer you have now. There's only abrupt transitions when you bought a new computer and it had the new system on it, and that's I. It's entirely possible that that is what has happened to uh, to us as a human species, and possibly to every other species on Earth. Um, do you think? Do you think then the stories of Atlantis or an Atlantis-like civilization are true, or have some basis in truth? Well, absolutely. Um, let's let's look at this uh, from a practical point of view. So, um, who is it that we know of? who is a very smart and well-respected Greek scholar uh, who is the biggest proponent of where we're getting our information for, from, for Atlantis. It's Plato. Plato. Well, mm-hmm. Plato is basically um, everything that Plato says uh, is the basis for science and religion that we currently still uh, use to this day. And there is eh, maybe there's some twists and some refinements, um, but essentially um, the entire concept uh, of of scientific discovery and the entire most of our most of our very basic religious concepts um, all come from Plato. So Plato's like the ultimate go-to dude who we all lit, love and adore, and he can do no wrong. Oh, except for this one thing that he said. That was total horseshit. Really? Yeah. <laughs> really? So not only that, but he gives um, very well documented, very well documented um, history for where he's getting this information. He says specifically that uh, this information was given to him by not, he's not making it up. He said, um, my, uh, my ancestor Solon uh, told me this information. 
um, probably in writing because Solon was several generations earlier. I don't believe it was his grandfather. I believe it was his great, great grandfather. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Solon's information was also very well documented uh, because he, um, it was passed on to him during a trip to Egypt uh, where now keep in mind um, at this, you know, not everybody could just pick up and go from Greece to Egypt. Sure. Uh, Solon was funded, academically funded, um, possibly by the state uh, or, you know, someone, someone with deep pockets who was specifically paying for Solon's uh, expedition to Egypt, specifically to gather information and to learn. Um, so he was maybe, uh, you could maybe think of him as, um, uh, I was going to say a transfer student, but that's not really very accurate because Solon was like literally uh, like the number one um, head uh, philosopher uh, probably at, at his time. He was certainly very high ranked. Um, so we have a very, very uh, high ranking, well-funded individual going from Greece to Egypt and then passing that uh, that information along to um, to uh, Plato. And what Solon found in Egypt was he was able to um, because he because of his credentials, he was able to speak to the number one uh, guy in Egypt um, who probably was working directly under the pharaoh. Um, and this was. Uh, this was a fellow who is unnamed, uh, but he is—he's called the high priest in this in Plato's story. So, so Solon was able to um, uh, essentially have this guy as his mentor, and he was studying with this fellow in Egypt for—I'm um, not sure how long, but it was—it was not a brief period. He was there for quite some time, and while he was there, they—they uh, they went and they looked at. Um, like the Book of the Dead, which is something that that is uh, you know pretty pretty conventional in terms of yeah this is what the this is what we know that the Egyptians had and I think our interpretation of it is maybe a little skewed but um, this is the type of stuff that these guys were studying and during that study the um, they they traveled to Dendera which is uh, one of the one of the early temples in Egypt, uh, probably one of the earliest, possibly the earliest remaining temple um, ruins that is that is currently known. And at Dendera, they they do have um, some of the uh, the same types of stories that that we're used to seeing in many of the other um, not pyramids but other temples in Egypt. Uh, which have come to be called the Book of the Dead, and so a lot of that stuff is is also encapsulated in the Dendera monuments. Uh, but also, Dendera contains um, earlier material that predates that uh, by thousands of years. And according to Solon, um, I I believe Solon uh, wrote that that material uh, was was telling the story of nine thousand years prior. Okay. So I don't know when those temples that he was looking at were made, but somewhere during that 9,000 year period, some events happened. And then in Egypt, the, the people who built these temples, who again, 
were very well funded, very deep pockets to build temples out of stone. Mm-hmm. Um, so these guys were telling a story that was not, uh, it was not um, unconventional in any way. It was right. funded by the government for crying out loud. So the okay. official government story at some t- at some point uh, during the period between that 9,000 years from when the event um, was presumed to have happened and when Solon studied it, that was the official record. That was the history, right? There is no other history. That's the official record. And it clearly states that uh, these people came from Atlantis after Atlantis was destroyed. Now, that has nothing to do with where it's located, Mm -hmm. uh, but Plato actually does go into quite a lot of detail um, with some very extensive clues about uh, its possible location and its um, uh, sort of its structure and description and stuff like that. So if you're interested in that, um, I would would say that uh, there's a, ton of theories about where Atlantis might be. Um, mm-hmm. The Basically, I haven't really seen any good evidence other than one very strange location, uh, which you might want to check out. Um, I would recommend watching the YouTube channel Bright Insight mm-hmm. and uh, check out his series on the Eye of the Sahara. Fascinating. Okay. okay. I know that there's a lot of different possible sites of where... Atlantis mm-hmm. or Atlantis-like civilization, which was, you know, basically they were destroyed by cataclysm, whether you, you want to say that they brought it about, you know, there's different versions right. of that. But, but I think uh, also that it's a bogus question. Where is Atlantis is a bogus question because that's like saying, where is America? Well, you know that New York is in America and also LA. In, in 10,000 years, they're both going to be uh, have ruins and rubble probably buried under who knows what um, exactly. but to, to say that where is America well it's New York yes and it's also in LA yes it is and it's also you know some little farmland in the middle of the Mississippi it's everywhere do you and think, I think that, that is that really information if there was ever a way to verify let's let's go with the Atlantis let's go down that rabbit hole if mm-hmm. do you think that they would ever let it out that if they had found a site that fit that, wherever it is, wherever it ended up being, you know, or do you think well, that I mean, the powers that be would go, no, we can't go there. Yeah. It depends on who they are, I suppose. Now uh-huh. um, has, I mean, it's entirely possible that, um, that the answer to that question is no, of course they wouldn't. And mm-hmm. of course that depends on who they are. But right. if you look at who they are, they are the same they that are controlling every other narrative. Yeah, that's so if they're going to control every other narrative, of course they're going to control this narrative as well. So we do know that, um, uh, like, again, there's, there's tons of archaeological evidence uh, that says a lot of very interesting things and is still actively being suppressed. Um, Nabda Playa is a site in Egypt, uh, which was, there was a really excellent book put out um, about 10 years ago about it. Um, And yet nobody knows about it. Why? Well, why? These are the questions we must ask. 
Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, there's, it's not hard to come up with examples of suppression because they're literally everywhere you look. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And any, even if it doesn't have to be a big discovery, just if it's an alternative explanation, mm -hmm. an alternative, yeah. well, maybe it, this, that's enough sometimes to like squelch it. And uh, I mean, God, God knows with, even with as much information as put out, there's also a million ways to go with it of how to squelch it, you know, bury it. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> you know, absolutely. So go back and it's to sometimes we... of that search of that search thing. And then you'll find the reference to it. Yeah. Yes. But absolutely. there's a lot of information that is now available. Yeah. Um, if you know where to look. Um, uh, but I mean, it's the same, same story that has been happening for thousands of years. We see the same thing happening now as we saw, well, here in Canada, there's a, one of the big stories of the last year or two has been, um, these, uh, I don't know if you even heard, if you've even heard about this story, but, uh, basically, uh, we used to have what we called residential schools and essentially what would happen is that, um, uh, they were the children from the native reserves were sent to live in these institutions. Um, many, many, many children have were killed in the schools. Um, so that's our big thing now is we're now digging up these mass graves and going. How could this be? How could we allow? Whoa, 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 whoa. How long? How far back are we talking here that they did this? Uh, well, this has been ongoing for um, for this the last school was only shut down in 1997 okay um and it started in the mid uh mid uh you know in the 19 uh i believe it started in the 1940s or 1945 i think maybe so, so in other words these kids were being pulled out and they were living at the schools yes so because here's the thing and this is nothing new because this is exactly what happened uh when the um, this is exactly what happened in America to the First yes. Nations there. Um, this is exactly what happened to with the conquistadors in South America and basically decimated the the Inca and whatever was was left of uh, of any previous civilization in South America. Um, mm -hmm. Burning buildings, burning books, killing everyone who knew anything, especially priests, um, especially government officials that were there, and. Right. Um, like anybody who, who had any kind of cultural knowledge that they would have wanted to uh, pass on orally, um, all of those shamans, uh, all, all those guys were the primary target, um, which was exactly the same thing as what, what has happened in North America. And um, because in Canada, we were uh, less successful than south of the border in um some of our attempts to exterminate and uh, subjugate some of the uh, native communities. So let me ask you, them, what were they doing? They were pulling these kids out. Let's say, okay, we're sending you to school. Yeah. You're going to live there. And what, what's happening now? They're finding. So, well, okay. So, so post-war world war two, there was okay. a, there was a very, um, I don't know if it had anything to do with the with the effects or like well you gotta wonder you go you got nazis doing this stuff to the jews and then as soon as the war is over 
Canada turns around and starts doing the exact same thing to mm-hmm. not exactly, but a lot of the similar type of tactics um, right. to the First Nations. Because what we're trying to do is assimilate. We make it sound nice. We want to integrate people. Um, right. And it, the, a lot of these same issues are the same types of issues that, that have happened uh, with blacks and whites in America and mm-hmm. the, the whole racial um, polarity and all that kind of stuff. So these right. are problems that have been ha- happening for thousands of years. Um, mm-hmm. But in, in the last, in recent memory in Canada, Canada be- became pretty good at, okay, well, we've got to do something because these uh, these Indians, as they were called at the time, are a problem. So what are we going to do about this Indian problem? Well, it's okay. the exact same narrative as the Nazis taking care of the Jew problem. Um, right. So what we came up with in Canada was we're going to hire a bunch of um, like uh, nuns primarily and priests and stuff like that. People okay. who are who have already basically volunteered to be volunteers for the rest of their life and okay. they're okay with it. Uh, yeah. So, okay, we'll get them to do this cool job. Hey, we've got a great job for you. You get to take care of children. So, right. well, who wouldn't want to do that? So, right. so they went into the villages and uh, basically um, they said, well, these native practices are demonic or are, you know, so there's all this extra language being put on uh-huh. because it's, it doesn't fit with what we want them to do. We want okay. them to just be normal people and to, well, possibly maybe the intent was uh, we don't want to have to pay for them because. Canada, I don't, I can't remember what it's like in, in America, but in Canada, um, if you have a um, qualification as being uh, some type of First Nation, like uh, mm-hmm. there's a certain uh, process where you can prove that you're a native and right. then you get subsi- you get subsidized. So uh, Over whether- Over in the United States, I believe it depends exactly like what you're saying. You have to prove, first of all, your lineage, yeah. whatever it is. Right. And I, but I think it differentiates from tribe to tribe, depending, you know, if they have even the what you call it, the casinos, you know, whatever it is. But each yeah, tribe yeah, yeah. is different. But yes, you have to right. prove and then so, yeah. so there's all these agreements in place. And some of them might actually have been coming from a sort of a, a good intent. Um, like in terms of um, well, here there's there's different groups of people and different needs and wants. So how do we remedy these and try to make them mesh together? And in some ways, I don't know if if some of these um, sort of agreements have been almost beneficial. Uh, I I wouldn't say that the entirety of the like every way that First Nations people have always been treated was always badly. I'm not saying that, but um, the end result generally tends to be pretty shitty. Um, okay. So whether the intent was was good or not, uh, but in and anyways, um, back in '45 or somewhere around around there, the the idea was well, if we can get these children and um, get them into a good Christian school, and mm-hmm. we can teach them, and they can learn English, and they can become productive members of society and good Christians, and everything will be very good. 
And then, well, I don't know, maybe we don't even, maybe we can stop paying them. I don't know if that was a factor at all, but it could have been completely spiritually biased or based. I don't know. I know it's mostly, mostly political. So Mm -hmm. really it comes about, it comes about control. So we want to control these people and we don't like what they're doing right now for whatever reason, partly because they actually had um, a, a good uh, ethic sense of environmentalism. Maybe that was the mm-hmm. thing that pissed off the government. I don't know, because the government at the time, don't forget, was really involved in a lot of um, projects like dam building, road building, sure. train, the railways and all this stuff, and expansionary. And um, a lot of the more environmentally minded people saw problems with that. And, and sometimes we're not afraid to speak up about it. Right. Um, so at any rate, whatever the motivations were, these uh, the, basically um, the villages were uh, sort of cut off in a way because what happened was um, if you're if you're dependent on a public school system for right. your education, as as we are almost entirely in Canada, um, then you have to have access to that public school. So. What what happened during that period was um, in a lot of the villages where there had been public schools, they they shut them down. So the government uh, is has the the government has all the power and they can do whatever the hell they want. So yeah. if they decide that we're going to do this, all they have to do is, oh, well, we have to close the school and they make it sound um, very, uh, you know, logical because. Well, it costs a lot of money to run a school for 10 kids. Right. Yeah, it does. I mean, that's probably not a really efficient way to do it. Um, so they used these kinds of excuses about efficiency and, and things like that. But essentially what happened was that these children were all taken away from their families and um, taken to these residential schools that were quite far away. Uh, far enough away that they couldn't really make the trip back to see their family, and okay. they probably weren't giving any given any kind of allowance or anything, and um, the the families had a difficult time traveling to where the children were, right. and once they did get there, they probably weren't very welcome. About- um, so at any rate, uh, the children were essentially um, forced into a pretty close to a prison-like environment um, where you're being told what to do all day by a nun. Well, nuns aren't the most fun people to have around and to be having having to tell you what to do. And uh, so this was probably a very strict lifestyle. Sure. Um, and on, on top of that, one of the primary goals of this whole experiment was um, we have to beat the native out of these children. It's a horrible and thing. And so they were being... It's terrible. So they were being forced to comply with, uh, with you know, the way that we want them to to be. And if if a child were to speak in their native tongue, right. uh, they would be severely beaten or punished otherwise. Um, anyway, the long story short is, uh, thousands of these children died in the schools, and wow. um, they 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 weren't. Um, so whether it was, I know for, for sure that part of that was due to mistreatment directly. 
to abuse, um, mistreatment, that kind of thing. Beatings, uh, for sure, that was part of it. Um, but I'm, I think that part of it was also due to more natural causes, you could say, such as disease or, you know, things like that, yeah. or even fighting between the children. But even when it wasn't directly uh, the fault of the administrators, the way they handled it was extremely evil. Um, they they would never tell the parents that their child had died. Wow. It's just that your child got taken off to school and you never saw them again. That's horrible. And this was you know, there can be nothing as traumatic for a child to be removed from their family. That that's one of the most mm -hmm. traumatic things you could do to a child. That's that's let's yeah. start with that. You know, yeah. as far as uh, so, mental well-being and everything, that's like absolutely. And so there are a lot of um, in the in the town where I live, uh, the population is approximately um, between eleven and fourteen. I haven't checked recently, uh, but percent of of native population. So. There's a lot of native people around um, mm -hmm. and a lot of them come to my city because it's sort of a hub and right. uh, they, you know, they've maybe grown up in a, in a small village somewhere uh, where thankfully that kind of direct oppression is not happening very much, but there's still right. a lot of racism um, and the opportunities uh, out in these little villages is very slim. So a lot of people end up coming here uh, to the big city. And mm -hmm. uh, what they find is that it's not necessarily all that it's cracked up to be in terms of opportunity. Sure. And um, so many of the First Nations people that I know um, have have either, I know a few people who lived through the, the schools and, and survived to tell the tale, but are severely traumatized. And But most of the people I know who are attached to it did not survive. And they, uh, their connection is that, you know, their cousin or, or a brother or somebody went there and thankfully they didn't have to go for whatever reason. Right. Um, but it's all too common a tale. And this is exactly the same kind of mistreatment that, uh, and, so and again, suppression. What is, what, yeah. what's happening? They're excavating in these areas and they're finding these mass graves or how does it come to light? Is that now like? Yeah. Um, I don't know exactly how it started, but a, a few years ago, um, uh -huh. there was uh, somebody dug up some bones. And okay. I'm I'm guessing that they didn't know that that grave was there. Um, right. But once they found them and once they realized there was like 100 kids in here in a big hole. Uh, and once they began to realize that this kind of stuff was happening at that one school. They started checking they started out other schools. other schools. Okay. Yeah. So now the the death toll is over a thousand by easily um, oh, at this point. Oh my god. Yeah. And this is the thing. For yeah. example, here, like um, in the state of Florida, which is where I'm at, and it's they they you they required a um a certificate a death certificate like from 1917 on. All right. Supposedly, mm -hmm. you know, you had to certify like the death somehow under whatever, whatever the circumstances were. Uh, right. But that's when you're talking like, you know, I, I mean, I've looked at what they reform schools, which of course they would put in their kids that needed reforming and just about any poor child that even as young as five, let's face yeah. it, you know, if they were away from their family, sometimes they could say, Hey, the kid ran away, especially if it was like a, in reality, the child was dead, was dead, but there would be no, um, how can I say, no pressure to produce a death certificate. 
You see right. what I'm saying? Yeah, even exactly. And so even though like this may be better documented in Canada, I have, um, I'm absolutely like, I'm sure that the same type of, of thing was happening uh, really everywhere because honestly, it's the exact same type of stuff that people always do to other people. Um, they never stop doing it. So the fact that we're actually looking at it right now in, in a specific example um, mm -hmm. is, well, it honestly doesn't really give me any hope because uh, we're just going to keep doing the same shit that we always do. But no, it is interesting. You know, uh, no, you know what I'm going to say? I mean, if you look, especially you, that, that, that you're a historian. Mm -hmm. The value of human life, I think, despite what we see, there's more recognition of the value of one human life. I think historically, when you look at it, the value of human life was a lot less, <laughs> a lot less. It wasn't. Yeah. And it was like, it was. It wasn't thought of. It was more of a, a of a doggy dog, you know, doggy dog world. You know, you did whatever you need to survive. Whether now because we're more modern times, I'm not going to say horrible things happen, but I think the value yeah. of human life is more elevated now. By the way, I'm not saying horrible things like that happen. And I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that has never even come to light and God knows if it ever will. But yeah. now there's more recognition of, okay, um, no, that, that, that can't happen. That can't happen. I, I don't know. I guess yeah. I'm a humanist. No, yeah. I'm, you I'm might be right. Think about people. <laughs> Man, yeah, I sure. Am. That's I, good. You know what? If, if there's anything, um, I would, I would really hope that I'm wrong. I am yes. not one of the academics who doesn't ever want to be wrong. And I really hope I am wrong on this. But, you know, um, getting back to the whole um, topic of, like, this suppression stuff, because mm -hmm. really, um, aside from the, the human life um, aspect of it, there's also this, um, there's the death of culture. And yes. what we're, like, that was really the, in the stated intent of this Canadian um, experiment, if you will, or whatever it was, um, mm -hmm. was really they, they, the government said in their documentation uh, at the start off of this project, that was their stated intent was to beat the Indian out of the Indians. And it worked so well that um, uh, South Africa uh, sent government representations to, to Canada to learn how to how we did it so that they could take that back and implement their apartheid um, situation wow. in the 80s. So the apartheid in South, uh, South Africa was directly um, engineered based on the Canadian data and, uh, and, and I have no idea. Um, status. Yeah, well, it's, it's you, crazy. I, I can imagine that probably some, well, after they caught on, I imagine some of these these in these villages, they would like hide their kids. Hey, we're gonna send your kids. No, I don't have any. <laughs> you know, absolutely. Yes, hide them. Hide them. You know, yep, I would let my kids sure. like forget it. I'd rather he'd be illiterate. Thanks, but he's alive. <laughs> but yeah, I can imagine people will get desperate to just to keep their children safe. You know, people will do anything. Yeah. Um. For as sure. a matter of fact, I think that a lot of what you see now nowadays with a lot of people like is because in some instances people are seeing their children being affected or that there's a manipulation as far as taking children away from parental and it's like no 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 i think a lot of people that don't care about other things this is the this is the point where they jump on board and go no no leave my kid out of it man right 
you know? Yep, absolutely. And this yeah. kind of stuff really messes up not only the people involved, but um, but generations afterwards. Sure. Um, and so right now, while we, we have um, right now, um, I'm, I'm assuming that this is a thing in, in America as well as Canada, there mm -hmm. is a uh, what they're called calling the opioid crisis, sure. where just so many overdoses. And well, mm -hmm. it's directly because of this mistreatment and uh, and bullying and harassment and everything else that's been happening for hundreds of years. Um, right. Even yeah, obviously before the residential schools, they're just the last thing. Um, right. But uh, when when people are traumatized, they yes. uh, they have no choice but to try desperate measures. And um, this traumatization is uh, a, is directly due to uh, this attempt to um, to annihilate the culture, and so this is where it ties back directly with the archaeological side of things, mm -hmm. because these attempts at annihilating the culture um, have been in play for thousands of years. Uh, in in China, there was at the beginning of the um, uh, sometime around 300 AD, uh, there was a, a regime change where a new mm -hmm. king came in and he had different, radically different ideas from the previous guy. His first act was to burn the universities down, uh, burn the books and kill every single professor in the country. Uh, this is internally his own country. Um, we see the same kind of thing happening with um, the, the, well, of course we mentioned the conquistadors already. Uh, Egypt was also a target um, back in the first century AD when the music, uh, the uh, library of Alexandria was burned. Um, um, and I can guarantee you that the, that the library of Alexandria had a lot of information about, um, the, uh, about uh, the Atlantean civilization. And that's, this is not wild speculation. This is exactly what, uh, what Plato and Solon were telling us because Solon had been to that library before it right. burnt down. Right. And he he read those books, and this is why he was able to uh, to pass this along. So the information that we're getting from Plato uh, came through Solon, but also came through Dandera, like I already talked about, but also through the li the Library of Alexandria. So just because the library right. burnt down, and they tried to make us forget about this information, well, it didn't work because one man. Uh, managed to keep the story alive. It's sure. the same kind of thing that's happening um, in on, on the biblical end of things because uh, when various committees uh, that were set up by the Pope decided this is the book we're allowed to read and this one we're not, um, right. and they basically did that whole thing. Well, there's always uh, there's always somebody who goes, "Hell no, you're not banning this book. I'm going to go hide it." Like you say, yes. you hide your children. Yes. And because children are important. Also, yes. what's important are is knowledge and especially that cultural knowledge. And so thank God that uh, there have been people all throughout history right. who have seen fit and, and wise enough to uh, to hide and uh, squirrel away well, various the, pieces of information. That, and that's what I'm hopeful for, that before... The only repository of all this information would say, let's say this one spot. In that case, it was the Library of Alexandria. Hopefully now, 
uh, the way things are with technology, which is like the the ups the upside of it, which is information is it's a lot of people have that information. You know, you, it, now it's very difficult to stamp it out because there's somebody that's somewhere uh, downloaded a hard copy and a thumb drive somewhere of that whatever it is. So to yeah. suppress information now, it's not quite as easy or how can I say, all encompassing as before. Uh, now it's right. much. So difficult. that's why. That's why misinformation and disinformation have become the key. Yes, yes. So enter like, again, the enter the, enter your congressman. And what's he saying? He's absolutely straight up lying to you because the fact that he is saying this stuff has never happened is right. uh, 100% um, false. Right. And, 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 easily and, and you know what? I hate to say it. And you made a good point where you said at the very beginning, I started to research what I had read. In other words, th that's something what we all need to do and not take everything at face value and assume they could be lying about this. Yeah. Right. Unfortunately, that's not the way. It, well, we yeah. And that's the problem is everybody's lying about everything uh, until some, until they decide, holy shit, I've been lying about stuff. Do I want to continue yeah. doing that or not? Yeah. Because you, I can guarantee that everybody is lying about something be because they don't know that it's a lie. Well, now, of yeah. course, there's also the intentional lies as well. That's yeah. another thing. But um, but every single person I have ever met has told me something that wasn't true, but they believed it was true. Right. Okay. And well, there's good good reason for that for that. Right. And there's a major difference. Um, but when uh, when uh, I I don't know if you remember that TV show uh, House with Dr. Yes. Gregory House, and he his famous quote was "Everybody lies." Now they weren't always lying on purpose, mm -hmm. but they lied, and, and right. they they miss, uh, you know, they misinformed his diagnosis uh, so many times, and often it cost them their life. And I believe that that is truly the state that we are that we all find ourselves in, uh, partly because, primarily due to um, unquestioning belief in whatever somebody in power told us, and. That guy is also under the same misinformed belief because of somebody who told him a thing. And so this is the, the fascinating thing for me in, in the work that I'm doing now is that um, why hasn't anyone ever noticed this stuff? It's like very obvious, actually, right? So a lot of this stuff. And uh, but it's because we are we're taught to read at a shallow level. Uh, we're taught to believe what we're told. We're yes. not taught to uh, to ask questions. We're not taught to dig into what we what we have right in front of us. Um, mm -hmm. But this is oh, this is the answer. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Well, no, it's not. It and it doesn't make sense. The answers that you know we why because everybody's about. too busy watching TikTok videos. <laughs> but I'm not. <laughs> you know what is it? A ten second. But, I mean, it's a ten second video. Well, it it is. But even I mean, it's impossible for everyone to to dig into every field. Oh, I understand. I understand. Um, but I think it is very important to, to pick that field that, uh, that really um, catches your, your heart and your soul and get into it and don't just believe what everybody's telling you. Uh, because I've noticed I'm not a biologist. I've hardly studied any biology, uh, like I, nothing in school. Um, I was focused on you know, the physics and the math and the computer stuff. Um, but even with my limited, I, I am a scientist, so I get how things work. 
I am an engineer. I get how things work. Um, so even with very basic information uh, to buy uh, about biology, because I will, you know, I'm I'm pretty well read. Um, I've noticed some things that just don't add up in terms of uh, the mitochondria is is one really good example. What they teach you about the mitochondria is true, but not really. Um, and the same thing goes for uh, like everything at the cellular level uh, about how biology works is very much slanted. Um, not even so much in terms of misinformation on that, but just in terms of suppression. Because any biologist who who knows truly how this works will notice very readily, uh, because it's quite apparent, even to somebody like me, that the concept of a species and mm -hmm. the concept of a uh, an organism is fundamentally flawed. And yet we're not throwing it away because it's too complicated to think about it the other way. Well, I'm a human. I know that. That's I I can do something with that. Okay. But actually, I'm a collection of a whole bunch of uh, like other collections of a whole bunch of other sentient beings that that make up my cells. How do I deal with that? That's. I don't have a framework for that, but that seems to be the truth. Well, um, I think that partly what you're saying is that despite whatever you read, that you have to keep an open mind as in, I can believe this up to a certain point, mm -hmm. but be always open to say, I'm going to, I'm going to leave that door open. If something makes sense, of course, that maybe even contradicts this or not yeah. or not. Yeah. Um, exactly. You know, and, and to me, a big thing is putting different ideas together. So if you're if we have any biology majors watching, uh, take the concept of the mitochondria and of symbiosis, dig into it. You're going to be like there's shit in there that will blow your mind. Um, but I can't tell it to you because I don't understand it enough. Uh, okay. But I, I understand it enough just to see that there's something weird going on. Um, spirituality, the same types of things. There's weird stuff that that are that are partly um, acknowledged in mm -hmm. the traditional spiritual ch channels, whether that be Christianity, Buddhism, uh, Hinduism, uh, New Age, whatever other kind of spirituality you're into. There's all the stuff that's the standard thing, and then there's this. Okay, but what if I also add, um, take a snippet from another field? How does that mash together? These are where the, the real revelations are, because all the stuff that we know that's being said is there's a lot of good information, uh, but it's all there. Really, the, the trick is that they all have boundaries drawn around them. And those boundaries seem to be now I'm not really into gigantic conspiracy theories, but it mm -hmm. almost seems like somebody has specifically and willingly drew, drew lines around all possible subjects stuffed them into little boxes and um and made it so that it's difficult for uh for those to uh, to touch uh the whole yeah. church and state and never the twain shall meet and right. we have that in every field so the same right. is true you go there you're the, like oh you're a crackpot you're going there no yes right exactly 
exactly. There's a stigma uh, attached but to this... exploring certain subjects or certain theories, if you want to call them that. Yes. So here's the thing: if there was um, such a massive, like global scale of suppression, well, we've already established that established that suppression is occurring absolutely all all time, all around. Um, but at what scale? Is it possible? that there is a global conspiracy that is designed to keep us from knowing everything. Well, I don't think so, but let me say this. If that was the case, who has the knowledge and the the technology to pull that off? It's beyond human capability. So when you when you asked That's earlier if the AT, if the ETs are here what do they want well we know they're here we see them all the time um, you just got to ask the right people and those people are scared and they aren't necessarily going to tell you uh, I I've interviewed a few people who I have I'm the only person they've ever told their story to because there still is a stigma there still is that um you know even though it's a lot more open it's not open enough and yet um so and things are weird too and there's weird shit going on and well people will think i'm weird yeah they will because life is weird um but that's the thing we got to be okay with that and so maybe the maybe that is the point of what the ets want uh maybe they want to see if we'll ever figure out their scheme and see behind the curtain. I don't know that we already know that it's basically an experiment uh, because that's, that's the, why, why else would they be DNA uh, manipulating the DNA? Um, sure. It's some kind of experiment. Uh, they're not here to mine gold. Um, I mean, not saying that they didn't ever mine gold, but that's not why they're here. Because they're not extracting gold right now, um, uh, but they are maybe possibly still extracting data from their long-lasting experiment. Um, but they—they're not here to wipe us out, despite what your congressman is telling you. They are not a threat. We are, in fact, their children. Um, so, if anything, they are. Uh, they are inclined to protect us rather than to hurt us. Um, and other than that, uh, we can only speculate. Sure, of course. And that 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 is the thing right there that I think ultimately we come to a crossroads at, which is if they're here, which most people at some point believe that, is what do they want? Okay. Is it is it yeah. is it is it good for us or are we gonna find ourselves on the short end of the stick? And I think that's the one, right. I think most people, it's not just the question, well, I could take it if I knew they were here to, for us or to help us or like us. It's the alternative. Yeah. That well, so, a lot. I, and I think that's a really excellent point is that um, some in the Christian world, uh, some, some of my friends like to point out, you got to look at the fruit, which essentially means um, the, well, so uh, I, I won't go into the whole, explanation behind it but basically uh, a good tree bears good fruit if you think that you've got an apple tree in your yard wait till fall is there mm -hmm. an apple on it okay then you know it's an apple tree um and so really i think that's what it comes down to is that 
if you look at the fruit of the various entities that are around and that are already observing us, so the, the extraterrestrials, if they exist, and if they are, in fact, here observing us, um, what is the fruit of that? Well, they haven't killed us. They, ha they aren't attacking us. They aren't terrorizing us. They aren't causing us to live in fear. Uh, now look at some of the other entities around, that are definitely around that we know of. For example, um, Washington, D.C., and, and, and all that that entails and contains. Uh, we know that they're here. We know that they're watching, watching us. They're even watching me, even though I'm outside of your borders. Um, we know that. And they are trying to terrorize us. They are actively uh, pursuing um, projects that are extremely um, detrimental to our health and safety and possibly to our extended life on this planet. Mm -hmm. uh, they are actively harming the planet. They are actively harming their own citizens as well as citizens abroad and uh other enemies within um right. i mean that's not controversial uh they are the food and drug administration is uh the biggest poisoner of any yeah. life ever that ever in, inhabited any planet i would i would estimate um but you know what kind of a lot of people is, is the FDA and they would think, oh no, the FDA said it's okay. Until very yeah, recently, exactly. most people assumed, and I'm not gonna say because I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm one of those. They thought, oh, it's FDA. The FDA uh, tested it, the FDA said it was okay, so it's got to be okay. And I think uh, a lot of people are having like this, huh? What? Uh, which is a yeah. tough thing because it complicates your world, whatever your world is. When I mean that that first person, this is, the, you know, what your perception is. Yeah. That's reality kind of deal where it complicates yeah. things to uh, to the nth degree, because if this is then what else is untrustworthy? I mean, it's like, believe it or not, human beings are creatures of habit. And we like, you know, it, 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 the, right. the horizon becomes very fuzzy when we start doing stuff like that. <laughs> and humans start going, oh, right. my God. Yeah, absolutely. So you got to ask yourself, what is the fruit? Why is the FDA actively trying to kill every citizen in America wow. by poisoning every crop that is grown in America? By, po by poisoning you directly with the pollutants of heavy metals and other bullshit products that are put in fertilizer and that are required by law to be applied to every crop in it grown in America. Why is that? So look at the fruit. Who's trying to kill you? It's not the ETs, unless the ETs have already infiltrated your government. That's, oh my mean, God, that's the only Ken. way to blame okay. these. Okay, okay. I mean, this, that, that rabbit hole could be pulled on. Wait, let me tell you something. And that's I know the only I way to infiltrate it, the that you look down and you're like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there because this is ugly, <laughs> ugly, ugly. But I'm sure there's a lot of people going, I knew it. I knew it. It's ETs. That's who's really running the show. And they're like, you know, but, but I hate to say I have, I have no evidence for that. I know that. But I know what that. I do I've... see is I see evil people doing very evil yes. things to you every day and to me, even though oh, I live in a different extension. country, all of my food comes from California. Um, yeah. So I am being slowly poisoned uh, by uh, Washington. Yeah, every, every, everybody. As surely as you are. 
I think a lot of people, um, like I said, it was a safer idea to believe that your government and all these agencies by extension would be there to help and protect you. And everybody's had a very rude awakening, realizing in the last few years, things have been coming out, um, you know, toxicity, things of that, you know, things like that, that people are like, okay, I can't ignore this. And, but then mm -hmm. it becomes like, okay, how do I exist in this modern world while, you know, unless I move off, you know what they say off the grid, off the grid is like, but I don't want to live like that, you know? So yeah. it, it becomes very difficult sometimes to make these choices and it complicates life a lot because like I said, technology is great, but at the same time, it's complicated our lives in a million other ways as well. All right. Yeah, for sure. And Absolutely. it depends. Well, anyway, Ken, I want to thank you. So it's been so fascinating talking to you because it's like, man, this show can go on for hours and hours. But it's been great <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. my podcast, for my podcast listeners. What's your website and where they can find your books? Um, yeah. So my books are all on Amazon as well as uh, my website is dimensionfold.com. Um, mm -hmm. If you, uh, if you want to check that out, um, there's a, actually I've, it's basically my publishing company. So there's myself and some other authors are on there. Okay. Um, uh, but it's easy to find my stuff. I've got a link right on the main page. Um, okay. And uh, I also have a YouTube channel, uh, okay. which is a little bit more difficult to find. So just go to dimensionfold.com and there's a All link right. there. For, uh, and there's a link YouTube they can jump well. from there. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Again, thank you so much, Ken. It has been wonderful to talk to you. And are you, do you have any books in the works? Are you thinking? Uh, yeah, I sure do. So, I'm I'm working on a really monumental project um, that could go a couple of different ways. So I don't um, I can't say exactly what the book is about, mm -hmm. um, but really one of the things that I'm looking at right now is um, uh, some of the stuff I've got is really tying together uh, the Sumerian um, texts, uh, some of the interesting things that I've uncovered in the Sumerian texts. And then uh, tying that into some of the biblical texts, um, okay. and uh, but this time I'm gonna kind of expand my horizon a little bit, and uh, because in in my um, in my UFOs in the Bible book, I really um, put a strict uh, boundary on myself that I would only talk about stuff that's in the canonical Bible. Um, mm -hmm. So there was a lot of material that I didn't cover. Uh, that I'm going to uh, start to delve into a, a little bit more. So uh, things like the Book of Enoch and um, some of the other uh, non-canonical um, stories, and and it's interesting. Uh, even the um, even the book uh, the books that are included in the Bible. Um, I'm specifically looking at the Book of Daniel here, uh, which is in the Bible except for chapter 14, which has been cut out. And so why is that? And so there's a lot of very interesting material that has been uh, expunged, but not entirely because the remnant has remained. And uh, there's some very interesting stuff in there. Um, but even even more interesting, I find, and, um, and what I'm kind of focusing on because no one else is, a lot of people talk about the Book of Enoch. Uh, nobody has ever noticed the things that I'm getting out of the book of Job right now, uh, some very fascinating information um, okay. that uh, ties directly to the Enuma Elish, uh, as well as 
um, some some of the uh, some of the stories from uh, Enoch and um, uh, the Nephilim and these types of uh, topics. So uh, whatever the next book that I come out with, it's going to be very fascinating. But I can't tell you okay. exactly what it's about or what the. Title I understand. Will be. I understand. Again, <laughs> it has been absolutely wonderful to speak to you. And I want to wish you the best Thank of luck you. on everything you do, okay? Thank you. It's been great. Likewise. Take care. Bye-bye. Wow. Yes, sir, Bob. Talk about. See? And let me tell you something. I agree with him. There's a lot of stuff that we... How can I say it? Oh, no. That we, that a lot of these ancient texts, either because it was difficult to access them or time consuming, or the people that would normally do it, let's say academics, let's say in a university, it's almost like the word got out. Like if you're going to go and do this research and you're going to come up with a different conclusion or different theory than what's out there, you know that it's going to get shot down by the powers that be. So a lot of these professors or academics that like their tenure or want to be like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to rock. I, I, I know that that theory or that teaching or that whatever it is, that's not exactly right. But you know what? I'm not going to go there. And again, the, the, a lot of these, uh, whether it's anthropological work, research of any type, these things have to be funded. The ones that fund them are the universities. Sometimes, you know, you'll have the government's help out, but or or, or private donor will, will will fund something. But in other words, the, this is how these things run. This is the money that's needed for whatever it is. It's got to be funded by somebody, okay? And in some cases, that situation is like you don't bite the hand that feeds you kind of deal. All right. So that's why I'm saying that. Um, even if you had somebody, whether they were planning the attempt or actually found something, a lot of times that story or that theory or that discovery was kept under wraps because the university or whoever was sponsoring it just did not want to go with that narrative. And I mean, and I don't want to say paranoid because there's, uh, this is not everything. This is not everything. But um, this, this inviability, you know, this, this version was given out by the university of blah, 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 which of course is probably a, a top tier university is like, you know, they would never lie about this theory or this discovery or this, whatever. Like he says, you know, even though we just found the fingernail and now we've just constructed this new, whatever human hominid, uh, dinosaur, uh, whatever, and then blah, 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 blah. Who's going to go against that? Uh, most people don't know any better to go, uh, to dispute it. And the people that might have the access is like, we'll think twice about it. Like, oh, am I, what am I going to do this to prove what? All right. Same thing. I mentioned it. Piltdown Man for a while. Oh, it was like a big thing. You know, it turns out that it was a made up. They had put like, I think, a mandible of a baboon on a skull. And they kind of, it was made up, you know, with this thing of, uh, of uh, you know, the missing link and all this thing, you know, evolution and, and, you know, who would, who, you know, let's say the, the typical layperson, let's say when that came out, 
who was going to gain say and go, no, that's not accurate. Nobody knew. First of all, nobody was up to actually handling, handling this uh, artif this fossil or whatever to say, hey, you know what, that, or know that have the knowledge to say, you know what, that jaw does not belong on that skull because that's maybe a human skull, but that mandible is an animal that, that, that like, or number one, who would have access to it? And if you had access to it, would you have the knowledge to differentiate? Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? And then when they put this out, all these academics, everybody took it as gospel. Turns out it was a big hoax. All right. Same thing now with a lot of the things that they're like what we were discovering that before they were saying that a lot of like the Deanderthals and all these never uh, crossbred with modern humans. When I say modern humans as in us, finds turns out we did. In other words, there was there was a lot of other species of um, humans. Okay, not hominids, not ape-like, no, 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 that. Humans that interbred. So they say that when they say, well, a lot of these went extinct. They really didn't go extinct per se because a lot of them interbred. Like he's 4% Neanderthal, I'm 3% Neanderthal. Okay. And I'm thinking maybe there's even other ones that they don't know how to test for. But now they're realizing that there was like a diaspora of different types of humans that interbred with one another. Okay. Basically to produce us modern humans, what you see now. All right. It wasn't like the side by side, these parallel existence. Okay. What happened was these different humans interbred and eventually like everything else. Um, how can I say? Uh, you you get the the hardiest that's you know the the whatever what you know the ones that can adapt the best to the climate to whatever it is that they're at uh, the ones that maybe can overcome uh, maybe certain diseases because they build up immunities and then you know little by little you get what we have now you see what I'm saying so again I'm glad in a way that things are being questioned. Not everything should be questioned in the sense that not everything is false, but I do agree with Ken that there's a lot of that's put out there as the history of us, the world, everything that is not exactly accurate. Okay. Including religious texts, you know, the Bible, um, even, you know, whether it's the old Testament, the new Testaments, other things, there's a lot of things that, and, and, and I agree with him. It always boils down to power, power over control of the masses or what they believe, okay, um, which is a horrible thing to think of uh, because usually stuff like that usually ends up bad for the individual, not the group, but the individuals. Um, but I think it's very interesting and also what he was talking about when he says this thing about the ETs. You know, have they been around? And if they've been around, are they the same ones? Maybe we had ones that were around for ancient civilizations, hung out and split. They're gone. Now the new ones have come up. Hey, did you hear about this place called Earth? We're going to stop by there. Yeah, we don't know. Maybe they are. Maybe they didn't. Again, what are their intentions? Are they just observing us? Are they crossbreeding with us? Are they taking our genetic material? Or are they just cutting up cows? Like how many cows do you need to cut up for what? You see what I'm saying? Is there more than one? And I know a lot of people makes that makes them feel very uncomfortable because it's like, are we lab rats? Is we like to remember, we always think of ourselves as king of the hill. You know, if anybody's gonna be a lab rat, it's la it's the rat, not us. All right. And 
but I do agree with him on one thing, which is that it, it worries me while all of a sudden there's just this fixation from the higher up the food chains of making a big deal out of UFOs and extraterrestrials. And when everybody's been talking about us, like us as in the regular people, I've been shooting videos, snapping photos, uh, telling stories to who would listen. In some cases, some people never ever said anything. Now all of a sudden, and it's like a big deal. And I've even heard of now people coming forward from the government that I was an abductee. Come on, who are you kidding? Who are you kidding? You guys are trying to convince us all that all these sightings of lights were like weather balloons or whatever, or you you were all mistaken. <laughs> how that how that happen? In other words. I don't know. I'm very suspicious when it comes to that. Why now? And I hate to think that they're going to go down the road of making them hostile towards us. Because I do agree with Ken. If it's if they've been around, maybe the worst of their hostility is cutting up cows. I don't know. Versus, you know, them making it just really wigging us out totally beyond the most that we've been wigged out anyway to begin with. By telling us that now we have to worry about ETs that are going to do what? Who knows? I don't know. I'm still out on that one. I'm still out on that one as to why the sudden interest, you know. Um, and like I said, that you've even got an elected official uh, making, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, that, that that they got to control misinformation about UFOs. Come on. That's <laughs> That comes with the territory. People have been talking and saying stories about UFOs. Some of them are accurate and truthful. Some of them are like lies. And some of them are people maybe that, you know, the bolts aren't screwed on too tight, whatever. That comes with the mix, like in all things. But and usually the government uh, has left that alone, you think? I don't know. There's more to it than that. But anyway, guys, thank you again for being part of my audience. You are wonderful. Please come back. I have a lot of great guests scheduled to come on. Again, don't forget, go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com for links to everything that we talk about. And uh, please come back next week. And I look forward to seeing you then. Take care.